As Afghanistan collapses and no one in our federal government wants to take any responsibility for it, our woke chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff has finally stepped up to explain what happened. The problem you see with the withdrawal and subsequent collapse of Afghanistan is that no one knew it would happen. The time frame of a rapid collapse that was widely estimated and ranged from weeks to months and even years following our departure. There was nothing that I or anyone else saw that indicated a collapse of this army and this government in 11 days. Ignorance is not an excuse, sir. Excuse me. I would ask you to use my preferred pronouns, son. Okay. Sorry, sir. It's ma'am. Okay. Frankly, ignorance may be the best excuse this administration has. Of all the press conferences that we have seen over the past few days, from the chairman of the Joint Chiefs to the defense secretary to the president himself, the sad fact is that the most coherent of them all was probably from the Taliban. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. My favorite comment yesterday is from Bobby who says, I like how libs always say they own it or take responsibility and then refuse any type of punishment or negative fallout. Yes, this was, I'm glad you picked up on that. This was the defining feature of Joe Biden's speech on Afghanistan. He said, I take responsibility. The buck stops here. And it was all Trump's fault. And it was the Afghan army's fault. And it was the state department's fault. And it was everyone's fault, but mine, but I take responsibility. It's a brilliant little trick. I'm sure it helps them rest easy at night. And if you want to rest easy, I would recommend you check out my pillow. There's a lot of bad, terrible, woke, awful companies out there, aren't there? There's a great patriotic company too, a great conservative patriotic company that stands by you and your values. That would be my pillow. But frankly, I would shop from my pillow, even if they were communists, perhaps even if they were run by the Taliban, because my pillow makes great products. My pillow created the new Giza Dream bedsheets. They look and feel great, means an even better night's sleep. My pillow found the world's best cotton called Giza. It's ultra soft and breathable, but extremely durable. My pillow sheets come with a 60-day money-back guarantee and a 10-year warranty. The first night you sleep on the Giza sheets, you will never want to sleep on anything else. Giza Dream sheets come in a variety of sizes and colors. They're fabulous. Slept on them last night. They felt great. They always feel great. Right now, sale of the year, you get them for $49.99. Go to MyPillow.com. Click on the radio listener's square. Use promo code DAILYWIRE. There you will find not only this wonderful offer, but offers on MyPillow mattress topper, MyPillow towel sets, and so much more. Call 1-800-651-1148. Use promo code DAILYWIRE or go to MyPillow.com. Make sure you use promo code DAILYWIRE. So the woke general, Mark Milley, chairman of the Joint Chiefs, says, hey, don't blame me. I had no idea that that could happen. As if that excuses it. It's like, well, yeah, you should know that that could happen, pal. That's your job. In fact, that might be the single most important aspect of your job right now is knowing what is going to happen during this major American military withdrawal from a place that we've been in for 20 years. You should, you should maybe know the options of what could happen. The defense secretary was not, was not any better. Frankly, he was worse. Defense secretary Lloyd Austin was asked at a press conference with General Milley, hey, what about all the Americans that are over? Can you guarantee that the Americans will get out before the American military leaves? And he says, uh, 
Nope. And I would draw a distinction, uh, Barr, between extracting uh, someone in an in extremist condition or, or, or circumstance versus uh, going out and collecting up large numbers of, uh, of American citizens. Do you have the capability to go out and collect Americans? We don't have the capability to go out and collect up large uh, numbers of, of, uh, of people. Oh my goodness gracious. This guy makes Millie look competent. And Millie is useless. You'll remember that Millie was testifying before legislators on Capitol Hill, and he was asked about the, the imposition of critical race theory materials in the reading lists for the troops, and he defended it. He defended it very very strongly. He said, we, we need, I want to understand Marx and Marxism and not just understand it by the way, but actually push materials that were promoting it. I want to understand white rage. Maybe, maybe if the Taliban had been motivated by white rage, maybe then Millie's plans would have worked out beautifully. But unfortunately, white rage had nothing to do with it because white rage is not a threat to this country. Certainly not a threat uh, to our withdrawal from Afghanistan so much as the Taliban and Islamism, which we can't talk about. And by the way, Millie blew it. Uh, Lloyd Austin blew it. Joe Biden did marginally better. And the reason he did marginally better is he was finally asked to take questions from the press. He was doing an actual press conference. You remember he gave that speech on Afghanistan and then just ran out of the room and didn't want to take any questions from the press about it after. So he's finally taken some questions. But the only thing he wanted to talk about was the coronavirus and the vaccines and Republican governors. Unfortunately, as you've seen throughout this pandemic, Some politicians are trying to turn public safety measures, that is, children wearing masks in school, into political disputes for their own political gain. Some are even trying to take power away from local educators by banning masks in school. They're setting a dangerous tone. For example, last week at a school board meeting in Tennessee, protesters threatened doctors and nurses who were testifying making the case for masking children in schools. Intimidation and the threats we're seeing across the country are wrong. They're unacceptable. I've said before, this isn't about politics. It's about keeping our children safe. Who cares about coronavirus? Nobody, nobody cares. It's just not that big a deal. The country that we've been occupying for 20 years just collapsed with thousands of Americans behind enemy lines in an, in an event that we were told could not happen. It was not going to happen there. You have no plan to get them out. And you're talking about a cough? You're talking about a freaking cough? Nobody cares, buddy. Oh my goodness. You know who doesn't care about coronavirus? The Taliban. You'll know, do you know who doesn't care about coronavirus? The Afghan people. Do you know who doesn't care about coronavirus? The American soldiers and civilians who are in Afghanistan. You know why? Because it just doesn't matter that much. The only masks right now in Afghanistan are the the Taliban fighters and the burqas that they're putting on all the ladies. That's what, that's those are the masks. And it's not to keep out the virus or slow the spread. Why, why, oh, why is Joe Biden talking about this stupid cough that doesn't matter relative to other events in the world? It's not an accident. It's not a mistake. It's not a flub or a gaffe. It's very intentional. 
The reason, and I've seen the polling on this, the reason is that Joe Biden's approval rating and, and favorability numbers are tanking. They're collapsing just about as fast as the nation of Afghanistan, the former nation of Afghanistan, over his mishandling of the withdrawal. They're collapsing over his handling of immigration. They're collapsing over his handling of so many aspects of our national policy. The only area where Joe Biden is posting consistently positive numbers is coronavirus because he and the public health bureaucracy are keeping everybody scared for the the longest 15 days in human history. Uh, They're just going to, they're just going to try to wring out this fear mongering for as long as they possibly can. So it is to Joe Biden's political advantage only ever to talk about coronavirus (laughs) and never to talk about the economy, immigration, least of all, Afghanistan. He went on for something like 15 minutes about the stupid virus and the governors that are doing a much, much better job handling the virus than he is. And then at the end of that, without really addressing the issue, the big issue in the room, he just left. We just need to finish the job with science, with facts, and with confidence. And together, as the United States of America, we'll get this done. God bless you all and may God protect our troops. Thank you. The nearest we came to an actual confrontation of this problem that's going on in Afghanistan that he told us wasn't going to happen was at the very end. He said, yeah, these governors are terrible and COVID, it's the scariest thing ever and you all need to be really afraid of it forever. And uh, okay, God bless our troops. Bye. See ya. Peace. I'm not a crook. See ya. Bye. Pretty pathetic stuff. So we've seen now three press conferences. Four, if you include (laughs) Joe Biden's address about Afghanistan that didn't take any questions from the press. So you've got three major ones from top officials in the United States responsible for what's going on in Afghanistan. There was an actual fourth press conference related to this issue. That one was on sort of the other side of the, of the battle. That one was put out by the Taliban. And it kills me to say it. It was by far the most coherent and serious press conference of any of them. The Taliban put on a much better show the Taliban treated the, the press with uh, far greater respect, and the Taliban were, were much more verbose <laughs> and much more uh, willing to discuss what happened than anybody on the American side, which should be no surprise, by the way, because the Taliban won. They won. I don't think they won because the American troops weren't fighting hard enough. I don't think they won because they actually even won any proper battles in in recent years. They won because the political leadership just bungled it. They just, they bungled the mission. They bungled the definition of what was going on there. They bungled the government building. Obviously the government collapsed in 11 days. They, they bungled building up the Afghan military. They bungled the withdrawal. They bungled every aspect of it. And so the Taliban came in Now they tried to assuage fears in the West, fears about terrorism, fears about drug smuggling and human smuggling. And they also took a few shots at the West that landed, that actually cut to the heart of some of the hypocrisies in the Western regimes. Taliban leader sitting there in the presidential palace holding the press conference first is asked, are you going to allow Al-Qaeda to fester? How about you are... 
relationship with Al-Qaeda. Do you still have uh, connection with them? Yeah, I have to talk about the foreign fighters. We want to reassure that Afghanistan will not be used against anybody. Whoever wants to take advantage of our soil, our country, we will not be allowed, they will not be allowed. Uh, secondly, the government is being formed. There will be law and order. Just a few days, be patient. Yeah, and very soon, I promise that you will have a government and a rule of law. Okay, so on its face, there's no reason to believe the Taliban. These guys generally don't deal in good faith and they hate America. And they, as they took Kabul, they were chanting, death to America. Do you remember? There was that reporter, that American reporter who said, you know, they're chanting death to America, but they seem friendly. And so yeah, there's no reason necessarily to believe them, except for this. The last time that the Taliban permitted terrorists to plan an attack on their soil against the United States, we killed tens of thousands of them and drove them from power for 20 years. So yes, we didn't totally vanquish the organization. Yes, they did come back into power. But that is a pretty strong slap on the wrist when, when you have tens of thousands of your brothers in arms killed and then you are kicked out of power for two decades. That actually might change their behavior a little bit. And if not, I, I imagine the United States will just go back in and start mowing them down again. Again, no reason to take the Taliban at their word whatsoever, but there is, unless they're complete maniacs, they might tone it down a little bit with the, with the state sponsorship of terror. Then the next question, once you deal with the terror problem, the next question is drugs. The main crop in Afghanistan is opium. That is their export. That's what they make. A lot of drug trafficking goes on in Afghanistan and from Afghanistan. And the, the Taliban probably the only, the only positive thing you can say about them is that when they came into power, they stopped the opium. They cut it out. They stopped the production of opium. Uh, now they are saying they will stop it again. Giving reassurance to Afghanistan that there will be no production of uh, drugs in Afghanistan. When we were in power, the cultivation of opium was in zero. But during the government, the past government, the uh, opium cultivation was on high, drug production was happening, but we will be against that. There will be no drug production, no drug smuggling. We saw today that our young people were on drugs during near the walls. This was making me very, very sad that our youth, our young people were addicted. We, Afghanistan will not be a country of cultivation of opium anymore. So I, I mentioned this bit. One, it's it's not surprising, the Taliban, this is not them lying. They actually are against the production of opium in the country. I mention it, though, just to show how serious they're presenting themselves in this press conference. Now, what they're desperate for right now is international recognition. They're sending emissaries to China and to Russia 
and to Iran and, and all over the world to try to get international recognition. So they want to present themselves as a fully formed, real nation state within the international order. And one way that they can do that somewhat persuasively is say, we're really going to crack down on OPM. And they're saying we need the help of the international community for this because we need investment in Afghanistan because if there's no investment, then they're all just going to make drugs again. Okay, they're, they're putting on a good show. Then I think probably the most effective aspect of their press conference was they were asked about freedom of speech. And they said to the Western world, before you accuse me, take a look at yourself. This question should be asked to those people who are uh, claiming to be promoters of freedom of speech, uh, who do not allow uh, publication of all information. I can ask Facebook uh, company. This question should be asked to them. There is something... It, it's, in, it's in a very dark way, but it's still funny. There is something so funny about hearing this absolute maniac monster Islamist leader saying like, ah, shalamalalalalava, Facebook, bababalalala. And you say, hold on, wait, what was that word? And then you look to the translation and he's saying, don't attack us over free speech. What, what you people in your civilization do is you let three unelected billionaire oligarchs led by hipster Rasputin, Jack Dorsey, and Zuckerberg and Sundar Pichai censor everybody, including the duly elected sitting president. He didn't quite put it in those words, but that's the point he's making. And that's a good point. That's a good point. The United States no longer has credibility. The Western world broadly no longer has credibility to lecture anybody on freedom of speech because our freedom of speech has not only been curtailed in practice, right now, if I go onto social media and I say, don't mutilate uh, children's sex organs and pump them full of cross-sex hormones. If I say that, there is a fair chance I will be kicked off of that platform or temporarily suspended. Many people who are listening to the show right now probably have been. If I go on there and I say, I think there were some problems with the 2020 election, I could be suspended. If you question the regime, you could, you could be suspended for that. If I go on there and I say, you know, I'm really wondering about the efficacy of masks, I could be suspended at slowing the spread of coronavirus. You know, I have some health concerns about the safety of these vaccines. You could be suspended. There are are many, many reasons for which you could be suspended and kicked out of the public square because these tech companies control 90% of the flow of information around the internet. So we have no credibility to lecture anybody else in the world on on freedom of speech. Because it's not even just the particular. It's not even just what we're allowed to say, what we're not allowed to say. It's who decides what we're allowed to say and who we're not allowed to say, what we're not allowed to say. Because it's not even we, if it were we, the people setting our own standards, as is the traditional practice in America, setting our own taboos, setting the limits of discourse, fine by me, but it's not. It's three radical billionaires. No credibility whatsoever. No credibility whatsoever. Part of the reason that we don't have the credibility, one, to answer these charges, but two, even to really occupy the country any longer in a serious way, is because our country itself is not unified. I was discussing this topic with a friend of mine who's, you know, very strongly in favor of staying in Afghanistan forever and, or nearly, very nearly forever. And he said, you know, look, we stayed in Western Europe, after the Second World War, we stayed there for decades and decades. We stayed in Japan. We stayed in Korea. Not just to have bases there, but to build up their countries. You say, I suppose 
I suppose that's true. There are some differences. I mean, even Japan was a real country. Afghanistan's never really been an actual nation. But, but even beyond that, America was very different in the 1940s and 1950s than it is today. America was a much more unified country. America was a much more stable country. America was a country that knew what it believed. America no longer knows what it believes. America is burning down its own cities last summer. America does not trust the results of presidential elections. Not this one, not the last one, not many in recent years. America, because it doesn't have the will to to be a nation even anymore, because America is pulling down her own statues, her own leaders, her own forebears, America has a harder time projecting strength overseas. Forget about being an empire. We've got to first be a nation. Can't do that. And you see people on the left, silly people on the left, continuing to egg this on. People on the right, I think, have, have had enough of it. But people on the left, I think, are the aggressors here. I don't, I don't think I'm being hyperpartisan or biased or whatever. I mean, the, the cultural revolution started from the left. That's just an undeniable fact of history. I trace it in my book, Speechless. It began with the left hollowing out our institutions, the universities, the federal government, certainly. Hollywood, the media, all turned against the country. Now big technology adds on to that. Upending every standard, upending every belief, debunking, deconstructing everything that we cherish, even upending our own language so we don't even speak the same language anymore. So it, is, it any, is it any wonder that the left in this country views the right as just as much their enemy as the Taliban. I mean, this is what Stephen Colbert, the leftist comedian, alleged comedian on, <laughs> on CBS uh, late night, this is what he said about concern that we're no different than the Taliban. If you have not heard about our Reader's Pass, it's a great bargain for the content. For just four bucks a month, the Daily Wire Reader's Pass unlocks exclusive editorial content that unpacks trending political and cultural topics penned by everyone from Ben Shapiro to Dan Crenshaw. To me. That's right. When you sign up with Reader's Pass, you also get access to the Morning Wire newsletter, a Monday through Saturday email covering the top stories that you need to know, available only to Daily Wire members. All of this can be yours for just four bucks a month. So act fast because right now we're offering a one month free trial. Get a Reader's Pass today. We'll be right back with a lot more. The late night host, Stephen Colbert, a left winger, sees no difference between American conservatives and the Taliban. He's right. We've had troops there for 20 years. They fought. They sacrificed. Their families sacrificed so that we wouldn't have a terrorist attack in America planned in a foreign country. Why should our soldiers be fighting radicals in a civil war in Afghanistan? We've got our own on Capitol Hill. Got our own on Capitol Hill, January 6th, you know, the insurrection, you know, remember that? The worst coup d'etat in American history? Because the horn guy danced around the Capitol, you remember? Because the smiley guy took Pelosi's lectern. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. In, in comparison to the actions of the Taliban or Al-Qaeda, of course, the January 6th people did absolutely nothing. In comparison to American leftists in 2020, the January 6th people did absolutely nothing. You're right. We do have insurrectionists and terrorists in the country. They burned down, they burned down multiple cities during 2020, including federal courthouses and police stations and 
private businesses and private homes and they killed a lot of people and they were all on the left and they all get a pass and they're all protected by the regime. Is it any wonder we're so divided? This is how they feel though. It's perfectly fine for the left to do that because the left is part of the regime and the right can't do that because the right is out. The right is scapegoated and ostracized. There's a, there's an ad that just went up in New York City. You can see it on some of the subway stations. It's a doctor pointing a needle at a person, and it's a person wearing a hat with an upside down America, American flag on it, which is actually has a lot of symbolism to it. We'll get to it in a second. And he's screaming and he's saying no, and his hands are up like, please stop, don't. And it says, get the effing vaccine. And then a doctor forcibly jabbing it into this person. The needle's not quite in him yet, but it's obviously in that direction. The guy's saying no. Now, as, as you'll be well aware, vaccine hesitancy in New York City is not mainly a function of right-wing white male Trump supporters, okay? <laughs> vaccine hesitancy in New York City is in large part among black New Yorkers, majority of black New Yorkers, not, not vaccinated. And I don't think that they are mostly Trump supporters, okay? But the image, the idea here is that the Trump people are not only the cause of our national problem, various sort of mundane national problems and political issues. The Trump supporters are murderers. They're, they're murderers, not just in Capitol Hill, where they, uh, according to fiction, murdered police officers. It didn't happen, but the New York Times said that it did. That later, they had to admit that it didn't, but no one followed up on the correction. They're murdering people through the disease, and they're the cause of it. They're the cause of the germs. They're the cause of the cough. They're the cause of the death. Blame them. You see the hat that they're wearing. It's, it's not a full-on MAGA hat, but it is a red hat, and the American flag is upside down. Now, what does that mean? The American flag upside down represents a nation in distress. So there are two ways to read that. One is that the awful Trump supporters mistakenly believe that the nation is in distress, but it's not. You see, the nation is perfectly fine. They just can't get with the program. They're so ridiculous. Just take the, take the effing vaccine. Or... It's a symbol that they are the cause of the nation's distress. That's even, even more, both are shocking, but that's even more shocking. They're the problem. America will not be safe and stable and orderly and just until these guys are taken care of. So take the effing vaccine. There's another one right next to it. Wear the effing mask. If the liberal regime had any credibility, they wouldn't need the edgy posters (laughs) they wouldn't need the swear words. This is what happens. uh, People like less so Colbert, a little bit Colbert, John Stewart and John Oliver, certainly they, they don't make points. They don't make arguments. They, I mean, they're comedians, but even comedians are supposed to make a point, right? That's what's funny about it is they're making an observation and it has logic and and it has reason to it. And they don't do that generally. What they do is they'll just make an observation They'll just state a fact about the world and then they'll state it more loudly and say the F word. They'll say like, you should take the vaccine. Take the effing vaccine, you know, and then it's like, oh, okay, I guess that he said the F word and yelled it. So I suppose that how persuasive. Wow, you got me. If they had arguments that were persuasive, they wouldn't need to do that. People, people don't need to yell and scream and use all sort of vulgar language and threaten you if they are persuasive. But the, also the, the regime doesn't need to be persuasive. One, it can't be, but two, it doesn't need to be because they've got all of the power. Get the effing vaccine. If you don't get the vaccine, what's going to happen to you? Well, 
If you go to Quinnipiac University, it's a university in Connecticut, and you do not get the vaccine, you will not have access to the internet. <laughs> you will not. I'm serious. They, uh, Quinnipiac University just sent out an email to students announcing lots of fines and fees, and some of which are quite expensive, hundreds of dollars, thousands of dollars for not taking the, the experimental drug about coronavirus. The email also announced that unvaccinated students will lose access to the university's Wi-Fi system if they don't meet the vaccination requirements by September 14th. So you, you basically just can't. You can be there. You can continue to pay them tuition and room and board, but you won't be able to do anything. Now, you might argue, in the case of Quinnipiac, you might argue, look, whether the school is right or wrong about the actual medical science and the public health benefit, what they're trying to do here is protect the safety of students. Maybe I don't agree with their methods or even with their, with their perception of the threat of coronavirus, but they're trying to protect public health. Okay, yeah, maybe you can say that. Maybe you can say that. In New York right now, the majority of black New Yorkers are no longer allowed into museums. This policy officially went into effect two days ago. It will not be enforced until uh, September 13th. It will not be enforced citywide. But the policy officially went into effect, even though it won't be enforced. What does that mean? I don't know. Government's complicated, I guess, especially in New York. But assuming that the policy is the policy, if you're unvaccinated, you can't go into museums, which means that uh, well over two-thirds of black New Yorkers cannot go to, I think the vaccination rate among black New Yorkers right now is something like 28%. So the, the majority of them, 72%, can't go into museums anymore. One imagines this will raise some civil rights questions. This something about that seems wrong, doesn't it? But still you might say, okay, it looks, it looks a little ugly, especially on the racial politics here, but still the New Yorkers are just trying to protect public health. Okay, well, I've got, I've got proof for you that this is not about protecting public health. The proof is the Las Vegas Raiders. The Raiders. Football team opening up the stadium and saying, if you want to come to the game, you need to take the shot. So what happens if you show up and you've got your football ticket, but you don't have proof of vaccination? You can either leave or they will give you the shot at the stadium. Wow. Okay. And then if you get the shot at the stadium, you, you can go in, but you've got to wear a mask. Do you see the problem here? Do you see how they've just admitted that this is not about public health. When you just receive the shot, you are not actually immunized against the coronavirus or any other virus. When you receive a shot in the minutes and hours after you receive that shot, you do not have immunity. The way vaccines work is it takes some time, days or weeks. That's what the health officials tell us happens with coronavirus. If you want to prove that you're vaccinated, it's not enough to get the shot. You've got to then wait several weeks and show enough time has passed. So they don't care if people come in who are not inoculated against the coronavirus. Now you do have, you have to wear the mask though, right? That's the, that's the difference. If you're fully vaccinated, you don't need to wear the mask. If you're vaccinated, you need to wear the mask. Or if you're not fully vaccinated, you, you have to wear the mask. But if that's the case, then just let people come in with the mask. Why do you need to stick them with the needle? The effect on immunity is going to be exactly the same. The effect on public health is going to be exactly the same by your own admission. 
because this is not about public health. This is not about the immunity or the spread or the this or the that or the other thing. We've already been told that the virus is spreading somewhat significantly among people who have the vaccine, though perhaps the symptoms of it are, are mitigated. We're already told that vaccinated people need to wear the masks. It's about the imposition. It's about not just what these people are deciding, these people without credibility, but it's about who gets to make the decisions. By the way, lots of evidence that the, these coronavirus lockdowns are very bad for your children's health. Study just came out from the British Medical Journal. And this, this was of personal interest to me because I had a child that was born during the coronavirus lockdowns. British Medical Journal, very respected medical journal, has a piece out. It says, children born during the coronavirus lockdowns score 22 points lower on IQ tests. So this is a longitudinal study of 672 kids from Rhode Island. Uh, it has run since 2011. So it's obviously long before the lockdowns and the pandemic. And it's measuring students' uh, uh, average IQ score, the Mullen scales of early learning. And it shows that children born during the lockdowns uh, scored an average IQ of 78. That's a drop of 22 points from the average of previous cohorts. This study was funded before. I know YouTube's going to try to take me off for this, for reading this study. This study was funded by the NIH. It was funded by the United States National Institutes of Health. It is awaiting peer review. Peer review is fake anyway, but it's awaiting peer review uh, before its, its publication in JAMA Pediatrics, but a preprint copy is available online. It's being pushed out here by the British Medical Journal. Here's what the study says, quote, we find that children born during the pandemic have significantly reduced verbal, motor, and overall cognitive performance compared to children born pre-pandemic. Moreover, we find that males and children in lower socioeconomic families have been most affected. Results highlight that even in the absence of direct coronavirus infection and COVID-19 illness, the environmental changes associated with the COVID-19 pandemic have significantly and negatively affected infant and child development. So this is the key here. The question is, well, maybe it's just the virus that's making these kids dumber. It's not. The researchers ruled that out largely because mothers or children with a history of testing positive for COVID were excluded from the analysis. This makes perfect sense, by the way. This is pure common sense. If you take kids who are learning so rapidly, right? Little kids are just little sponges. So they're learning by seeing people's faces, seeing their expressions, going out, seeing the neighborhood, seeing different stores and restaurants and church, and just taking in all of this information. If you lock them inside and then put filthy cloth over your face and you don't even let them see your expressions, then that's going to be a problem. Now, fortunately, I don't think this is going to be a problem for my cute little baby boy whose doctor says he's very advanced. He told me that just a couple days ago. I'm sure he never says that to any other parent. It's not going to be a problem for my little baby boy because my wife and I have basically ignored all of the stupid health suggestions from the CDC and from the politicians and from the public health establishment. I'm not saying we've gone out licking doorknobs, but we've just ignored what we think are ineffective, onerous, imprudent, pointless rules. And I'm damn well glad that we did because there's now this study showing, it's a study from a real journal funded by the NIH, which is, uh, ostensibly is a real institution that shows that this is having a, a really negative effect on people because there are consequences of these lockdowns even beyond 
the spread or mitigation of the cough. I feel we cannot let a day go by at this point without playing a clip from Libs of TikTok, my, one of my favorite Twitter accounts. And I, and I do this not merely, by the way, to make fun of these silly people on TikTok or, or wherever. That's part of it too. I, I won't deny it. But I do it because, and I think this is the reason behind Libs of TikTok's Twitter account. I do it because I want to remind people that the kooky ideas that float around the academy or that float around the elite circles of this country have an actual effect on the ground among ordinary people who are just spouting off on social media. The crazy academic theories that began in the fever dreams of lunatic uh, psychologists, medical doctors, theorists, people like Paul Money, people like Wilhelm Reich, people like the Western Marxists who had an effect on the academy in the, in the 20th century. Those ideas among all those super sophisticated people with lots of books and fancy lab coats, those have an effect on the culture pretty directly. So this video going around uh, TikTok of uh, this kooky lady, she's a preschool teacher discussing how elated she was to see how quickly her preschoolers took to radical gender theory and the perfectly ordinary normal talk about kids' genitals. Story time. This has been my first year in preschool with a class of my own, teaching alongside another queer neurodivergent educator, and we have been rocking our two's class. We've been talking about gender and skin color and consent and empathy and our bodies and autonomy. It's been fabulous. But our teaching team is shifting and a new person is being onboarded, someone with many years of experience. So today at the lunch table, when the topic of gender and genitals came up, one of our students plainly looked up and said, well, I'm a girl today, but I know that teacher Ko isn't. No, they're Enby. And the look on the incoming teacher's face was priceless. She was shocked in a good way. And she just looked around at the two of us and said, this class is incredible. And I am so impressed. We need to ban theater kids from ever participating in society. I say this as a former theater kid. Uh, so I, you know, I did the, I, I, but it, it, we got us. I, I am calling for a complete and total shutdown of theater kids until we figure out what the hell is going on, because this cannot, cannot be allowed to stand. The most depressing part of this video, by the way, is not that this woman has access to preschoolers. It's not that she is talking about genitals at the lunch table with preschoolers. It's not even that. It's that the older teacher comes in and sees this horrific offense taking place. <laughs> And is shocked. Okay, so you're like, oh, good, good. Finally, some, some reason here. Shocked in a good way. Oh, <laughs> no. I give up. I give up. I give up. Get me out of here. Uh, this is the sort of educational apparatus that is raising your children. And you're sending them there. When I was a kid, we didn't go to preschool. I, I guess some people did. I didn't go to preschool. When my father was a kid, people didn't really go to kindergarten all that much. Now it's, it's, you know, you'd start school at either six or five. I started at five. Now it seems you start at four or three. Some people, I kid you not, I have friends and relatives who send their kids to school at two. 
And then you stay in school longer. It used to be if you graduated high school, you were fine for most jobs. And now it's, you have to get some associates, maybe a bachelor's, maybe a master's. I know people who can't write an English sentence who are getting master's degrees, which is insane. You shouldn't, but the, the idea is you are now in this educational apparatus to raise your children to comport with the, the dictates of the liberal regime. You're there for forever. I mean, you're there for now, what, 20 years sometimes? Not good stuff. Not good stuff. Maybe we need to start taking a more active role in educating people. Maybe when we criticize the bizarre, kooky theories of people around the world, we ought to, we can do that just fine, but we ought to criticize our own and maybe uh, fix those as well. We are being governed by psychopaths. Before we go, I have to I have to play this, this uh, clip. This came out from the World Economic Forum. This is an organization basically of just global elites, neoliberal elites who want, who want to rule the world and, and in many ways do rule the world. And they're telling us how wonderful the COVID lockdowns are. Yeah, maybe it made your kid an idiot, but you know, it's really going to be wonderful. Yeah, maybe it shut down your church and your business and took away a lot of your money and your rights. But hey, it's going to be better for you in the long run because we are going to have even more control. Take a listen. Five ways the pandemic could reshape our lives in the long term. This is the text popping up. One, offices will be reimagined. Ooh, okay. The shift to home working will mean offices can serve different functions. They could be used as a client showroom. Okay, yeah, a research lab. Yeah, well, we already had those. Or somewhere to meet with and reconnect with colleagues. Well, why do we need to reconnect? We used to just be with them every day. No, no, you'll just work at home forever in your pod. The advent of 15-minute spaces. Neighborhood hubs could replace some of the perks we miss not by not commuting to the office. So maybe they'll have gyms or bars or art galleries or networking opportunities. Yeah, we'll just build all these new things and you would be no more than a 15-minute walk from your home. Okay, wow, that's nice. Yeah, we'll work more, you know. The rise of cloud markets. Ghost kitchens, restaurants that solely deliver takeaway meals exploded in popularity during the lockdowns. Well, these could morph into cloud markets. Okay. Okay. Analytics-driven services that license and deliver food to you from a range of brands. You don't get to go to the restaurant, but we'll bring slop to your pod. Number four, you could be identified by your heartbeat. Facial recognition systems are often stumped by face masks, but your heartbeat is just as unique as your face. So NASA has developed a system that can ID you from your heartbeat using a laser. Number five, digital technology will change the... Hold on, wait, what a second. Wait, what, what was the number four? Hold on, I, yeah, the technology and the learning, and that's, and then I know the museums and the cloud. Uh, no, after the, I want to go to the one after the cloud market, but before the digital. Or, oh, NASA invented laser beams that will identify you by your heartbeat, so that even if you mask, you can't hide from the surveillance state. Isn't that great? <laughs> Isn't this is the one? This is the new normal. This is the great reset. Get used to it. You'll own nothing and you'll be happy. I'm Michael Knowles. This is the Michael Knowles Show. See you tomorrow. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Andrew Clavin Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Ben Davies. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Supervising producer, Mathis Glover. Production manager, Pavel Vidovsky. Editor and associate producer, Danny D'Amico. Associate producer, Justine Turley. Audio mixer, Mike Coromina. 
and Hair and Makeup by Nika Geneva. The Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. Today on the Ben Shapiro Show, Joe Biden says he has no regrets about the Afghanistan collapse and his botched strategy. And our military leaders say we have no capacity to rescue Americans in Afghanistan. That's today on the Ben Shapiro Show. Give it a listen. Listen. 